Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to Honey & Co. The Food Sessions. I'm Ita Masrulovic. And I'm Sarit Packer. This is our last episode in the autumn series and we have a very special guest. She trained in the Cordon Bleu as a pastry chef. She worked in some of the best restaurants in London like Black Axe Mangal and St. John's. She has two books out recently, all about pastry. She also runs CounterTalk. It's a community dedicated to promoting healthy working environment in the food industry, something we truly believe in. And she's a judge on Junior Bake Off. Welcome to Ravneet Gill. Such a nice intro. Hi, both. I'm so overexcited to be talking to you. I've been following you for the past two years and everything that you do. And I'm just so amazed. I think you're touching on so many things that are so important to our lives, you know, as chefs. And I'm just so incredibly amazed at what you do. I'm a big, big fan. Well, thank you. And actually, I was saving to tell you this, both of you. I'm a big fan of you two. And I did a stage at Honey & Co. years ago with Bridget. And I was so nervous that when the two of you walked in the kitchen, I completely froze. And then I made a massive mistake and I weighed something out completely wrong. And I remember feeling so embarrassed that I then couldn't look at you both. <laughs> <laughs> So I feel very grateful that now I'm getting to talk to you because I'm a big fan of both of you. Well, I'm glad that you had uh, Bridget working with you because Bridget is the nicest, sweetest, most welcoming, lovely person. But yeah. Georgia, the iconic uh, honey and co pastry chef, Georgia Di Marzo, is really scary. <laughs> yeah. And I had heard this and I was very scared going in. And then Bridget was this like warm, welcoming, incredible woman who was like, when I made a mistake, she's like, don't worry, we're going to fix it. And I was yeah. like, okay, great. <laughs> okay. Georgia would have chopped your fingers. <laughs> no, she wouldn't. Georgia is lovely. She's just a bit more strict. She and she is doesn't, lovely. You know. She is lovely. Anyway, Georgia's in Italy. So nobody can be scared of Georgia anymore because she decided to open her own place and scare her own staff. Ervnit, we want to hear everything about you. We want to hear how you ended up as a pastry chef, because that's not the path you were set. Not at all. Like, I never, ever thought I'd be a pastry chef. I admit that I couldn't bake well until I was in my 20s. And everything I baked before then, I apologized to anyone who had to eat it because it was so <laughs> bad. And I grew up with a mom who never baked, ever. She's an incredible cook, but she never made any cakes. And we just had the Delia cookbook at home and... I didn't know anything about baking, but I had a massive sweet tooth. I have always loved sweet things. I went to university to do a psychology degree because I thought, right, got to do something professional. And the whole time I was studying my degree, I was just having friends over and cooking all the time. And then I realized that actually I didn't want to be doing the degree. I wanted to be cooking instead. 
was meant to go and do a PhD. And I remember my dad was so excited. And then at the last minute I skipped out and said, no, I'm going to go and be a chef. And I just typed it into Google and off I went. <laughs> wow. That's a massive step sideways, how, isn't how it? How did your parents take it? Oh, not very well. <laughs> really? They've only just come around like last year. <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, Sarit was the same. She was like... Well, mine were the same, except I never went to do that first degree, but they definitely wanted me to go and get a degree first. They kind of thought that maybe during studying for the degree, I will decide that being a chef is a stupid idea, which maybe I should have done, but I didn't. Because my parents which I suppose yours do, they always want you to do one up from them, don't they? It's like a kind of thing, do better. And I suppose cooking isn't considered doing better. Like But not how have you found it? Ups and downs. I mean, my dad didn't qualify as an accountant until he was 40. So he was always like scared that I just wasn't going to have a professional job and my mom doesn't have any formal education so they thought that this was the right route for me, especially financially. And to be honest, when I first started, I was like, yeah, I've made the wrong choice. over and over again I remember seeing all my friends in grad schemes earning like in the 30,000s and I was on like six pounds an hour maybe if I was lucky and then that didn't include overtime and I remember just being like I have no idea how I'm gonna get out of this and I've got to commit now because I've got to prove people wrong and that's almost what's driven me (laughs) you made a move it is a really difficult industry you know especially when you start it's so harsh It still is like that. Were you shocked at it or were you... Yeah, I mean, I know that you two know this very well because you've been in the industry and you also see it day to day with your own staff. I think I was so blown away by how drastically different it was to what I had imagined. I didn't talk about any of it for ages with any of my friends or family because I just thought it was like normal. And I kind of didn't really want to say anything about what was going on at work or... I always describe being in a kitchen like being in a playground. When I was first starting, it was like anything goes any form of like poking and grabbing and like shoving, being inappropriate and being silly is all there. But on the flip side of it, I know I make it sound a bit crazy. It is also so fun. When it's fun, it's so fun and it's so incredible. I remember the first couple of years working like crazy hours and like really hating it and not enjoying it and not really understanding a lot of it. And then I was going to give up. I was applying to grad schemes to like try and find a job as like food buyer, even though I had no experience, that sort of stuff, you know. And then I walked into the kitchen at St. John. You know, when you have that feeling, I always describe it as like non-school uniform day, where you feel like super happy and like (laughs) free. That's how I felt walking into St. John. I can't describe it. And a few weeks in, I was like, right, no, this is the place for me. And I stopped applying to all those other jobs. I wasn't being paid massively, but I was so happy that all I wanted to do was like continue this journey of chefing and it's because the people were so nice they treated you like a human you take breaks every single day and I remember when I did a stage at Honey and Co I was so busy like trying to do a good job (laughs) so you came over to me with a bowl of food and you said go and sit down and have a break (laughs) and I was like oh okay they make you have breaks here too like you know I think it's so important to force a break Um, and by the way it was incredible staff food I still remember it to this day. I don't remember remember what I fed you. It was like this it was like this meat pie with lamb and potatoes thinly sliced potatoes on top and it was insane I still remember it because I remember eating it in the little corridor bit being like Uh. this is incredible (laughs) (laughs) all the staff are just like-minded there's no hierarchy everybody was just wonderful and loved it for the food that they were serving and I just thought it was glorious I think a kitchen where you don't fit or that is wrong for you can be so soul destroying and then if you're in the right place it just lifts you up it just rocket fuels you forward Yeah. Nobody tells you, hey, you're just in the wrong place. 
It doesn't have to be like this. But tell me, from this kind of like working kitchens and shifts and stuff like that, you end up writing a book, a pastry book. Fantastic book, but also like fantastic to be able to do that because... Of course, we've written books, but we did it because we opened a restaurant and stuff like that. It's quite unique to get book deal without having a restaurant or a kind of brand that you're selling or something like this. Basically, you got the book. So how, how did that happen? I don't really know how it happened, but I'm so grateful to Pavilion for like believing in me and giving me the exposure and giving me the chance because I was a pastry chef at a place called Llewellyn's in Herne Hill and I had never even really thought about writing a book but I spent years collecting hundreds of recipes in this orange folder and every restaurant I went into I'd tweak them and they'd change or I'd add and then all the chefs in the kitchen would be like have you got a printout of that folder send it to me and I'm sure that so many chefs have got my like pdf copies of what was in that folder and I remember being at Llewellyn's and then someone said to me do you have a book proposal and I remember thinking why is anyone going to want my book but I googled how to write a book proposal and I sent it to this guy and anyway he came back and he said you know what you're not big enough no one's going to buy this book sorry but like it was nice to try and I said yeah fine I tried it a couple of months later, two of the regular customers from Llewellyn's sent me an email, Joy and Helen, saying, Rav, we miss your dessert so much. Have you ever considered writing a book? And then I was like, oh, I have a book proposal in my folders. I just sent it to them. And it was literally a Word document. It's so, if I look at it now, it's so embarrassing. I write like I'm talking to my friends. A few months later, I ran my first Countertalk event, which was about bread, where we got all these incredible bakeries from all over England to meet in a room, sweaty basement, because it was all I could afford at the time, to just talk about bread. And there was like 120 people. And the next day, I got an email from someone at Pavilion saying, hey, I was at your bread event. I have your proposal in my inbox. Let's talk about this book. And that's how it happened. Was it literally that orange folder or were there other things? Like, how do you decide what goes in a book? But my whole thing was like, when I went to cookery school, I couldn't afford it. I had to drop out before Superior because I couldn't afford to keep going. And I remember just being like, well, when I actually went into the kitchen, all these rigid rules change. You can mix and match and have a freedom with pastry because I think people get really scared. And I was like, I'm going to break it down into blocks so that people can just pick up this book, read it from start to finish on the tube. That's why it's small. And then they can just learn an entire course of pastry, like 101. And then also hopefully by the end of it, learn how to mix and match from each of the chapters to make things of their own. That's why it's not a book that's like full recipes and pictures every single page. I hope that that's what I'm passing on. It's really good. And you've kind of ended up working on a second one as well. I know, like mind blown. And it's called Sugar, I Love You. And that was it's like... such a good title. It's such a good title. <laughs> Pavilion were like, but no one's going to buy a book called Sugar, I Love You by a random I would buy a chef. book called Sugar, I Love You. It's my motto. What do you mean? <laughs> but now I feel like the second book is Sugar, I Love You. And it's like very anecdotal about my life. And I just love sweet things. I eat something sweet every day. And I really like find a lot of joy in that. We kind of call it the curse of book two, restaurant two. It's everything. But it's kind of, you know... Once you get over it. No, the book two is fun. Was it? Restaurant two is horrible, but book two is fun. Okay, you're distracting me now and interrupting and you don't need to. Restaurant two was horrific and book two (laughs) was pretty hard to do. We love it now. Afterwards, you love all of them. Yeah. Like, I think, you you know, with the restaurants, with the books, you struggle for a few months and then you love them. And I think you, you forget the struggle because that's the only reason you would do anything else again, because it's quite hard. Like childbirth, they say. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think except the they restaurant, say. which is just traumatizing for. <laughs> <laughs> Book two. 
it's quite a different book, no? Like, you're, do you feel it's closer to what you are? Is it what you wanted to do? Because sometimes you have to kind of establish yourself for someone to let you do book two. So tell us a bit about it. Absolutely. I mean, it's the original title that I wanted. It's very anecdotal about my life. So there's quite a lot of stories in there about my life and sweet things and why I am the way I am. I speak about my parents and about their stories and sort of in this recipe surrounding that. So yeah, it's very like story and recipes. I want to talk about Kante Talk, which I think is just the most incredible thing. We've both been jobbing chefs. We've both been in the industry. We've seen the ups and downs of it. We knew as chefs that there is a massive fault line in the industry. You know, that the people in the kitchens, on the floors, there's so much talent and competence there that is not really getting rewarded. We know as employers how hard it is to change that. And we didn't know what to do about this serious issue of our industry. But you did something that's incredible. You you started Counter Talk. Tell us about that. We're at a point where there's not enough staff. We need to face up to that. Like we held a conference with Counter Talk two years ago about the fact that there's going to be a staffing crisis because of Brexit. And now I feel like it's even worse because... A lot of people spent a year out of kitchens and out of working in restaurants and food businesses being like, I don't want to go back to doing that anymore. We've had so many restaurants that publicly don't want to say that they can't find staff who are like the icons of the industry saying that they don't want to advertise publicly because they're so embarrassed about it, but they have no idea what they're going to do. And that's so scary. But, you know, I know that kind of I'm not serving my best interests here, but it can't just be like the industry for immigrants and people from very bad situations to improve themselves. This is what it does. And it did it very well. You mm-hmm. know, we, we've had a lot of people who really had improved their situations through the kitchen, which they wouldn't be able to do otherwise. Yeah. I think us as well, you know, we've reached a situation that we couldn't have reached otherwise if it wasn't for hospitality work. But it needs to be something else now. Yeah, I agree. It needs to be something completely different. No, it needs to be side by side. I don't think it needs to be completely different. I think both need to continue this aspect where you see a prospect for the future. But it is a really beautiful industry. And I think that there are so many things that you can learn by working in the food world. And it's not promoted enough, especially in schools. And I think that I keep seeing restaurants opening and opening and opening, which is brilliant. But then there's nothing being done to generate the people coming in. And it scares me because I feel like, you know, restaurants thrive off consistent staff who are happy. And the more that we just keep like overstretching them, the less of a talent pool we're going to have. Absolutely. But also, I mean, you do a lot more on Counter Talk which, by the way, just to explain, is online mostly, yeah? yeah. But you do events, at, well, at the moment, I suppose everything's online, yeah. isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Like we are, instead of in person. But when you can, you also do in-person events when things get better. But kind of trying to address every aspect of the industry. You're also talking a lot to employees about what to expect, how to expect, how to ask for what they deserve. What's been your feedback? What's been kind of the good and the bad of doing this amazing project? Well, I started it three years ago now because I was like... When I left St. John, I immediately went into a bakery that was really horrible and like not what I had imagined. And I remember being like, why can't this place just be nice? Like, I don't understand. Then we'd all stay and everybody left immediately. I actually got fired, but we'll talk about that another day. Uh, and then... Uh, for, <laughs> or not. For being too outspoken. And then I feel like I then went into kitchen after kitchen where it was just more and more bad practice. Some were good along the way. And I was like, I just think that someone needs to set something up where we can shout about the good ones so people avoid the bad ones 
and can just have fun at work. And that's almost why it was started. And then it was an Instagram page that then like blossomed into a really basic job board. And then this year I put like more money into funding it into an even better jobs board. And we run a lot of events that are all about staff happiness and just sort of being very people centric. And I really think it's important to create compassion on both sides for employees and employers, because when there's like a lack of compassion and understanding between both parties, it's not going to work. I even know that as an arrogant little chef, I used to think like, oh, the owner's making so much money. It doesn't matter. I'm going to be sloppy in my job or I'm going to not care as much here. But I think as soon as I started to understand, actually, to own a place, you've got so many things going on at the same time. You're spinning a hundred different plates. I need to have compassion for my boss who's treating me really well because they've got a million other things going on. Do you know what I mean? We're all for for compassion for restaurants. For employers, yeah. (laughs) No, but also, you know, we definitely... So many things became clearer to us once we had opened our first place about things that our bosses before or managers before had done that seemed to us questionable. And when we opened our own place, you suddenly realize, like you say, that the spend is humongous as a business owner. You're risking so much, not just financially, but reputation-wise, everything. And you're trusting someone to represent you. And I think we definitely saw things differently once we opened a business, but we also remembered being those kind of jobbing chefs on really low salaries, really long hours every weekend. And definitely we try to address that, I suppose, in the company and to remember where we came from. Just being a discussion, I think, is quite important. What are the things we need to do as an industry to get to a stage where this shortage isn't the main thing that everyone we know in the industry is talking about? Because this shortage is the conversation. One of the things I'm really big on is talking about class and background and education and understanding how we generate it from a school point of view, because we need to get more people in. But one of the biggest problems I find is that the restaurant industry doesn't have the best reputation. I do a lot of like studying into how class groups work in the education system in the UK because I think it's very, very interesting and how everybody is coming in. And like, you know, African girls do so well at school in the UK across all factors and they're not going to want to go and be chefs. The reputation isn't as good. So I think we just need to be better at like shouting about how good it is and then like getting better because you can make good money in this industry. You can love it. There's all these paths and avenues, but we don't always shout about it enough. And there is this like, class divide in education when it comes to food and understanding food education as well like when I first went into kitchens a few years in I was so embarrassed because I had no idea what a celeriac was or what a quince was all these weird English cheeses I was like I grew up eating mild cheddar I don't know what any of these things are (laughs) and I think that you know food education in itself also needs to be explored and revamped and we need to be massively different yeah better we need to be better yeah give people work-life balance and we need to be able to give people a career path and a future yeah how do you guys feel from a restaurant like owner point of view when it comes to the education of the customer because i feel like it's all sort of filtered into each other with the customer wanting to pay a certain price for something but perhaps not knowing about the supply chain and how much it costs and then that drips down into your money and staff and we've always decided to just set our prices at what we know allows us to pay our staff well for them to not do you know crazy hours because we don't do the crazy doubles of doubles 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 Mm -hmm. you know the shift pattern is is quite decent people have a a good kind of life balance we're 
we made a decision when we opened to stay closed on Sundays to to kind of allow a day off that's uh, on a weekend, which is quite different, I think. But we started off being very cheap and then we kind of realized that this is not the way it's going to work. And we just price things at a price we think is realistic. A lot of people get upset with us and think it's too expensive for what it is, but we say it allows us to run the business, mm-hmm. actually run it yeah. and actually retain people. You know, a lot of our staff have been with us for a very long time and we are built and we survive because of them. So if they're not there, there is no us. I mean, we couldn't be able to sit here and have a whole season about different people if we had to be in the kitchens all the time. So it's a kind of understanding that this is the only way we can make it work. I think that's why this year of pandemic has been so difficult for us because we're not in control of any of it. You know what I mean? Like we can't. Control freaks us? No. 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 I would never be a control (laughs) freak. You know. Let's go on to the junior bake-off thing a second. First of all, how do you find yourself doing it? What, do you apply? Do you what? Like somebody asks you, how does this even happen? Like I did not go out of my way to get that job. And I feel like... (laughs) I hadn't gone for this career, which is why I think it fell into a weird place in, in a good way, in a positive way, because I wasn't like seeking it and then being disappointed. But I was, I remember doing a lot of silly Instagram things during lockdown, just like lives and like just having a laugh. And then I got an Instagram DM from someone saying, hey, I'm doing this food show. I'd love for you to be a part of it. And I was thinking, ugh, go away. Didn't reply. And then I got a Facebook message, didn't reply. I then got a LinkedIn message. And I was like, who is this freak? And then I remember getting an email and my friend was like, you should just answer the email. So then I answered it and they were like, oh, it's to be the judge on Junior Bake Off. I got off the phone. I was like, I'm not going for that because I'm obviously not going to get it. And my mom was like stood behind me and she was like, shut up, just go. And I was like, oh, okay, fine. So I like (laughs) went to this interview, kind of took it as a joke, thought, you know, there's like hundreds of people. I'm no way going to get this. And then somehow got the job. It's good. (laughs) Yeah, it's good. But then like, how 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 was the experience? Yeah, how does it feel? They're like. I mean, that's controversial, isn't it? Judging kids. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I have never really been around a lot of kids in general. I'm always used to being like the pastry chef, like running a team. And I'm quite harsh in my criticism because I'm like, I want to build you and I want you to be better and I want you to learn. But I'm always like, it's never personal. It's not sort of my angle. But I remember the first day I stepped into that tent, I remember feeling so nervous because suddenly you've got all these cameras looking at you and all these people like looking at you with their masks on. And (laughs) I remember feeling like completely out of my comfort zone. I hated it actually because it wasn't anything I was used to. I was like, I want to be the food tech team in the back, prepping the food, (laughs) not the one in the front. I just felt very, very shy. And then a few days in, I like warmed to it. But I remember feeling so daunted and so nervous, giving criticism to younger bakers is so different from what I would do in a kitchen but you also can't be like that when they're right in front of you (laughs) (laughs) and I ended up like by the end of it just loving it so much and being like completely captivated by all these incredible bakers who were much better than me when I was their age and Mm. like giving them little motivational pep talks behind the turn and being like you can do it and then loving it but it was a journey Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Nice. But tell me one horrible thing that you ate. There must have been some horrible things that you tasted. No, you don't sorry, have to say who it was. Just tell me. Come on, tell me sorry, something really horrible. It's children. Just, she doesn't need to name names just to tell me something horrible that she had to eat. I'm sure that was terrible. I remember one of the bakers made, if I say what it is, it'll be too obvious, but they didn't use any sugar. They used pure salt. And I took a big spoon of that. But you can't react in a negative way. (laughs) And I remember being like, I'm going to be sick. Yeah, it was it was it was a salty mess. Uh, well, this did happen to me more than once, <laughs> I will say. Yeah, but usually and in I, I'm coffee, sure, you know, usually a coffee or something like that, where, you know, when he just doesn't know where the sugar is in the house. So he just. Oh, so you do that to yourself. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm much older, so nothing to be ashamed of. No excuses. Of. I do it to myself. I did it to Sarit once. Yeah. One memorable meal. Yeah, memorable for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. So I think I should be commended for getting so far into the conversation and not mentioning the icon <laughs> that is BG. BG. Do we need to talk about the gloves? <laughs> First of all, you need, need to explain. To about the Maybe sol- not everyone knows. You just assume everyone knows who we BG is. We need to talk but... about the ginger cats. No, explain, explain. Let's first. start from the top. BG, discuss. <laughs> Beejee's my grandmother, for anyone who doesn't know. And if you don't know Beejee, you haven't been. She is, yeah, she's amazing. Beejee's like in her 90s and we have no idea how old she is because she doesn't have a birth certificate. Yeah, she doesn't have a birth certificate. She has like a made up one. So her birthday is on the 1st of January. When she moved to this country, she came from India to Kenya and then Kenya to England. They just quickly put like a date and apparently everyone's birthday was the 1st of January on that day. So she was the 1st of January, even though I don't think she's a Capricorn, but you know, whatever. (laughs) And she is... We think 90s, but she's like a bullet woman. She moved here as a single mom. They like moved in immediately with a cousin and then ended up like getting kicked out for some reason and then living in a bedsit. And she grafted so hard with her kids. And I just think she's amazing. And my uncle somehow turned from like selling jeans on a market stall to like owning nursing homes and hotels. I just feel like she did a lot for her kids and she's incredible. But my mom has also been like her full-time carer because BG got very sick sort of early 40s and she's been living with us for the last couple of years. And I moved back home a good couple of months before the pandemic. And I remember being so embarrassed that I lived with my grandma. And then I was like, you know what, it's actually really funny. I'm going to start sharing it. And I started sharing all of her silly habits online as a joke. And then it's, she started getting a lot of um, positive responses a lot of love <laughs> yeah. Itamar loves her I mean <laughs> absolutely what does she have against the ginger cat let's let's open this up so we have these cats they're three beautiful cats my neighbor breeds show cats they visit our garden like every day and we've become really really attached to them you know our neighbor knows that they come and visit us they love hanging out with us we've named them all Punjabi names and <laughs> And it's really funny because the neighbor also knows that we've done this. And 
Biji just cannot stand them, but she also thinks that they're reincarnated versions of people that she knows that didn't like her, which is why the cats oh, don't excellent. like her. Excellent. I love this. Really? Yeah. This is where yeah. I connect to Biji. I love this. <laughs> reincarnated cats. <laughs> I didn't realize it was spiritual hatred. I thought it was just like, wow. Allegedly. So deep. Yeah. (laughs) That's so funny. Tell me, is your food kind of passion anything to do with your family, with your grandmother, with your parents? Does it come from them? My family are massive feeders. They love like feeding you as much as possible all the time. There's never been any like boundary with food. And I think that my mom's like complete generosity and like understanding of she's so good with chili and spice and savory cooking. So she's definitely been someone who's been a massive influence in like generosity and feeding. But equally, she's such a clean freak that she does not like me in the kitchen with her. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a lot of arguments about it. So the only way you can get in the kitchen is... When she's out. Or, or <laughs> if, if you make a career of it. Yeah. And BG is so messy. You have to follow her around with like a cloth because she touches everything. Everything gets sticky and we never really know how like... The other day I looked under her bed and it was just full of empty plastic water bottles. Um, (laughs) She just loves collecting things. We have to stay on top of her in order for it to not be like hoarding situation. (laughs) (laughs) Is she a good cook though? She's a good cook. She's really good at making pickles and like preserves. And she's got a few things that she's so good at, but she's gotten so messy now that we... It's a rare occasion that she'll cook. Does BG have any adventures in food that didn't make it into the book? I mean, one of the stories that she loves telling us, and we giggle over it so much, is the time where in Punjab, BG was a kid, and she made pakoras with weed instead of spinach and got really high. <laughs> Space pakoras. Yeah. Oh, my God, this is going to become the new trend. And she's, Oh, my God. She said she, she felt so woozy and out of it that she fell asleep somewhere that she shouldn't have and then got caught by someone and then got the beating of her life. So she thinks it's such a funny... We always giggle over it. It didn't become like a family, you know, dish that Tradition. we pull out on the holidays. <laughs> oh, let's go for BGC, you know, space for chorus. Recently, I started giving her <laughs> CBD oil and she loves the fact that it's, you know, comes from... That she gets a buzz. Exactly, she loves it. Secretly very cheeky, that lady. There's nothing secret about it. She's a cheeky lady. (laughs) For you, what's your kind of go-to foods? What do you get really excited about? Or what do you crave? Or what have you kind of... She just wants cookies. Have you not seen her? All she eats is cookies. No, she must eat some food. Like, I love sugar and I eat a lot of sugar, but you must eat some food as well. Even though you're quite skinny, so maybe you only eat sugar. I don't know. No, I eat a lot of savory food and I often actually... So I've got super high metabolism and me and my brother's really slim as well. Don't rub it in. But, no, but, as in, <laughs> no, but I remember when I was a kid, I used to get teased for being so skinny and I always found it mortifying. And I've always tried really hard to eat a lot. And my brother is the same, exactly the same. But I can out eat anyone at my dinner table. And it's always <laughs> like, I love spicy delicious interesting food I love Indian food obviously but I also love like especially Italian because it's so different from what I would eat growing up I love all the things that I wouldn't normally get I love like breads I'm looking at my cookbook collection now and what I've been cooking out of I've obviously got all of your books on my shelf as you should yes but I'm also I love going out to eat I love steak by the way I buy a lot of steak because we're not allowed to eat beef really because we're Sikh but I don't really follow the religion and we always have to tell BG that it's lamb (laughs) It's just, it's lamb, it's lamb, it's lamb. Ravneet, what's the plan now? What's going on with your life? Where are you taking all of this? 
Well, so Counter Talk is growing, which feels great. We've now got a team because before it was me and a fake team. And we have Kitty and Max who sort of run it day to day because we're so busy with all our virtual events that we've got coming up. We've got some talks about money. We've got a tiramisu off coming up in September where we're going to find the best tiramisu in London, which I'm very excited about. Okay, so it's, you I count. think somebody is... Uh... I might come with a spoon. You. Please. That's, yeah. that's the idea that all our guests come with spoons and we just feed you a tiramisu and we find the best one. <laughs> I mean, she makes an amazing tiramisu. I'm not amazing. making a tiramisu for tiramisu. <laughs> you can enter. Not... We are looking for applicants. No, it's not a honey and coat <laughs> thing we do, you know. But I am quickly curious about your tiramisu. Do you make your own sponge yeah. fingers? Describe it. It depends what I'm doing. If I'm just making like a quick something for dessert because some guests are coming, then no. I wouldn't make it. But if I was making it for a restaurant, then yes, I would definitely. I do like a light expansion in a sheet and then usually kind of drizzle it with a bit of uh, chocolate really thinly so that mm. you kind of get like little bits of crackling as you're kind of spooning through it, which is quite nice as well. I haven't made one for a while, which I think is why Tamar is yeah. going on about this. But we're yeah, going but to what, ignore. What I really love about hers is, you know, because it can get quite boozy and I love a boozy dessert. But Sarit would often not put any booze. I don't use booze And then you just get kind booze, of the so coffee just... and the cream and just very, very clean, mm. pure flavors. And I love that. Ravneet, let's go back to you. Sorry. Let's not talk about <laughs> me. What's the plan? What are you going to do? The book is coming out in October, Sugar, I Love You. And I'm doing a bit more TV fun things. And I'm also launching my own online cookery school, Sweet and Savory, which is all about getting good quality videos into schools. Oh, wow. Yeah. So for every course that we sell, we're going to give one back to a kid in a school who wants to learn. And then I'm going to set up a fund, which is then going to fund equipment and ingredients. That is fantastic. Really exciting. Thank you. You're just, I'm just so um, at awe. Thank you. How much you do and how creative. I'm, I'm just like, makes me feel very unaccomplished. You guys are very, very accomplished. Kind of... <laughs> There's two of us and we're much older than you. <laughs> so it's fine. But you can continue yeah, you can adding accomplishments and increasing and then maybe hopefully you can run this country in a slightly better way than it has been. <laughs> this is it. She's already kind of shuffling you down to number 10. Well, or at least be like the, you know, they're talking about the hospitality czar yeah. or whatever, you know. Would be good to get someone from the industry rather than yeah. someone that has no idea. It would be, so wouldn't it? Maybe one day. All right. I think we're good. I feel that we didn't get enough BG time, but okay. I understand that it's my own. You might do that obsession. when it's not on recording, it <laughs> I will. I will. Maybe I'll bring her down one day. Everyone's like, bring her to my restaurant. But genuinely, if BG goes outside anywhere, she'll go into the toilet, disappear for 20 minutes, and she would have stolen all of your toilet roll. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? People steal the weirdest things from restaurants, so yeah. that wouldn't be the... <laughs> not be the first So uh, I always try I and avoid. I can't, love, I can't love her more when you tell me this. How I mean, if you, you see in some of the videos, there's always this like random industrial toilet roll in her room, and it's from all of the places that she visits. It's so embarrassing. Please, please I'll give you do. some warning please if do. I am with her. Yeah, you have to give yeah. us warning, otherwise Itamar will please literally do. like lose his mind. <laughs> Thank you so much for spending this time with us. Like, yeah, it's amazing it's to talk to you. It's been such a pleasure and we really, truly could have gone on. Thank you. Thank you so much. 
That is it for this episode of Honey and Co. The Food Sessions. This is the last episode of our autumn series. If you haven't been with us all the way through, do go back and check out our other conversations. We talk to chefs and writers from all over the world and from across many food traditions. New York's Jake Cohen, Seattle's Renee Erickson, Copenhagen's Trina Hahnemann, and from London, Sami Tamimi and Tara Wigley. Let's not forget Chedna Makan, who brought us a taste of Mumbai, and Caroline Eden, who journeyed through Central Asia. Thank you to our producer Miranda Hinckley, to our engineers Paul Brogdon and John Scott, to Daniel Winshaw for writing the music, and thanks to Louisa Cornford, our Lulu, uh, for all the help she puts into the podcast, and to all our team at Honey & Co. We couldn't do this without you. Thank you for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 